comes ahead on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome back to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me, as always, is Logan Stump. Oh, you didn't do it. I couldn't think of one. I was thinking oh, come about on. it the whole Exploria time. Exploria Stadium Logan or anything like that, yeah. really. It's behind me. Um, what's up, Jordan? Oh, not much. Uh, you know, just... Uh, excited that we're almost done the eastern conference <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, that's what i told you earlier i was retweeting the dallas uh season preview and i said that man this feels like a long time ago that we did this and i looked at the date and it was two weeks from uh i think yesterday yeah yeah uh, i mean even when we look back to when we first recorded at the end of january for the preview like the get the, you know what to know about mls or mm-hmm. whatever um it doesn't feel like that long ago. No. But also, we've come so far since then. We've interviewed so many people. Uh, and, and we're going to be interviewing somebody today. Who do we have today? Uh, and what team are they covering? Uh, even though people can look on their podcast app right now and <laughs> see who we have and, and who the uh, who, what team they cover. Yeah, so we're actually uh, we're going to jump on and do Atlanta. No, I'm kidding. Um, we're doing Atlanta United. And we're interviewing Chris Smith. And he is covering MLS European soccer for Squawka football, one goal and dirty South soccer, which is the SB nation for Atlanta United. And he was also, um, and he's also featured someone scouted football and much, much more. The man is a workhorse when it comes to all things soccer. And I know that he's working on some U S men's national team pool articles that we'll ask him about here in this interview, but Looking forward to having him on. This will be exciting. Yeah, I'm excited to talk some Atlanta. There's lots of uh, different things uh, going on. Um, you know, in, in you know, this is a team that's experienced so much changes, uh, so many changes going into 2021. Uh, I'm excited to you know get them. So let's go ahead and welcome on Chris Smith. And now we are welcoming in Chris Smith. How are you today, Chris? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, if you just want to give kind of like the lowdown to our listeners here, you know, the um, when you started covering uh, Atlanta or, you know, writing for, um, you know, uh, the Dirty South Soccer and other uh, football places you write for, for MLS. Yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've been a sort of a journalist for 
about three years now since the 2018 World Cup. Um, I only actually got into covering MLS just ahead of the 2019 season and done various bits for World Football Index um, with one goal at the moment as well as Dirty South. And I only actually managed to get rid of Dirty South off the back of a, an absolute rant of an article at Frank de Bordeaux in the MLS's back tournament last year. And uh, <laughs> the guys over at, um, at Dirty South saw it, really liked it and just dropped me a message saying, if you ever want to get on board, just give us a message and we can sort something out. And That's awesome. It's gone from there, really. But I've, I've been covering MLS now for, for, for just over two years and, and sort of lost, the, lost a lot of sleep during that time doing it in the UK. But I, w- I wouldn't change it. I enjoy it, so... <laughs> so what what is uh, what's one thing that speaks to you about uh, you know MLS uh, while you're over in England? So the, the bit that gets me the most um, is how even and, and open it is the whole the parity side of it, which I know that gets gets uh, put out there a lot about the league. But over here in the UK, um, I mean my, my team over here is Everton, um, and as a lot of people know, 1995 was the last time they won a trophy and. You know, I'm certainly can't be accused of being a glory hunter, but it's also quite frustrating to sort of sit there and, and watch your team year in, year out, give everything they've got and, and you, you feel like they're building something, then either one of the bigger teams will come and swoop in and take your best players or something will happen where you get beat back down. It's, it's very much, the, I see it as a closed book over here in Europe. A few, a few teams can win the Champions League, a couple of teams can win the Premier League and, and that's that. Whereas in MLS, obviously, it's rare that it gets retained. I know Seattle have got quite a few finals recently, but it's very rare that anyone retains a title. You, you normally see at least one new team in the final year to year. And I think most teams, not, not all, but most teams can go in year to year and say, yeah, we've got a shot of going far this year, which is something you don't see in Europe. I think it just adds to the entertainment value, which is high already considering the, the crazy goals, the refereeing decisions and, and the, the madness that is MLS. Logan, do you want to ask a question? Yeah, I'm no, sorry. I was on mute and I was like trying to get, um, no, I, I think it's interesting because it's, uh, you know, Jordan and I talk about this all the time because we watch Premier League um, and we won't tell you who we like, but um, no, but uh, you know, I'm a, city, I'm a City fan and he's a Chelsea fan. Um, but again, like you said, it's uh, MLS is definitely wacky. It's definitely different. Um, it's a lot different from when you're watching it, especially when you're watching different clips and reading about MLS, and then you kind of compare it over into Premier League. That's, you know, something that you look at and go, that's, that's a different kind of league. Um, just, you know, kind of going off of that, um, you know, what, what is it like as far as uh, when you're observing from you know, over in the UK, as far as like the fans are concerned, I mean, how do you get a sense of how passionate uh, Atlanta United fans are? And I know that there's some Atlanta United fans in the UK that you've tagged us in uh, one of the groups. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the the fan support of MLS over in England too? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing is obviously looking at sort of the the US and Canadian fans over in the UK. It's a very it looks like a very different culture, um, and I do make a point of sort of entrenching myself right into the fan base as much as I can online as well. Uh, I do speak to obviously the guys at Dirty South and then a lot of a lot of people on Twitter via DMs and so we, we, we speak quite a lot and it's very different in that every match day seems like a massive event. Um, over in the UK it's sort of you'll you'll go to a pub outside the ground for a couple of hours, go in, watch the game, then go home. It's it's very much sort of we're here to go in the stadium and then we'll go home. It's it's whereas over there obviously it looks like a, a very big event and there's marches to the ground 
you know, there's the the uh, the big barbecues and the big cook-ups outside and everything like that. I, I love that person. I, I feel like, you know, if I'm going to support a team, I want to make every time I go the highlight of my week. Um, it very much seems that way. Once once they're in the ground, obviously you get all the supporters sections. You know, there's a lot of stand, say, stand in there, which is very different to what we see in the UK. And I just feel like the, the, the atmosphere feels a lot less sanitised, whereas over in the UK, it's very much... I don't want to say family orientated because I don't want to say that it's not a family sport, but it is at the same time, you do lose a bit of that raw atmosphere over in the UK sometimes because you know, you've got all the sky cameras here and it's all very prim and proper. Um, yeah, in, in terms of Atlanta themselves over here in the UK, uh, that group that I tagged, tagged you guys, uh, tagged along onto, onto the comments uh, with the, the first sort of Atlanta fans I came into contact, to be honest. Um, sort of fell in love with Atlanta during the 2018 season, like a, probably like a lot of people, to be honest. Um, and then I just started looking for people to sort of get excited about with them, basically. And and that's who I found, um, built on from there, kept kept pushing into the league, learning more and more and started covering the league. And I won't say that MLS is a heavily followed league over in the UK, but it does seem like it's, it's bubbling under the surface and growing. Um, I mean, just on my own Twitter feed alone, I've probably got about 20, 30, guys and girls following MLS from the UK, which uh, before I started following it and covering it myself, I wouldn't have even know that many people existed. So, and there's a, there's a lot more. So when you look at the followers of the UK fans, fan sites and stuff like that, they've got a few hundred followers each. So there's, there's clearly something growing. There's a curiosity there. And the more you get these MLS players coming over to Europe, the more I see that growing. Uh, m- moving on to the actual... Uh you know, the meat and potatoes of the team and such. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, you, you started writing for Dirty South Soccer due to a rant uh, on Frank DeBoer. Uh, so we always ask also to reflect on the season that just ended in 2020. Um, you know, Frank DeBoer left, uh, was it right after MLS is back? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after the Cincinnati game, I think, if I remember. Right. Uh, what... Uh, what would you? How do you reflect on on 2020? Was it necessary uh, to to be that uh, brutally bad to uh, to be able to finally pull the trigger on on moving on from Frank DeBoer? I think at the time that the decision was taken, it, it was the right one. Um, what happened afterwards was, I think, was a symptom of MLS with with it taking so long to get Gabriel Ainsler in and, and giving Stephen Glass the reins for so long was. The symptom of having a league without relegation allowed Atlanta to buy the time and, and get the, the guy that they wanted. Um, but right from the start with with DeBoer, you know, in 2019, I know we won two trophies, but the style of football took a big turn for the worse compared to Tata Martino. Um, obviously, Miguel Almiron went out. Pitti Martinez come in and two very different players, yet the expectation was there for him to replace Almiron. It was never going to happen. Uh, two very different styles, and I don't. I think there was big clashes there with with DeBoer, and not just from him, but from a lot of the existing players as well. And um, they were problems that got considerably worse at the start of 2020. Uh, the first game or two, Joseph Martinez sort of masked over a lot of big cracks in the team, and then when he went, it all just capitulated. Um, and and as good as Martinez is, and you know he's absolutely worshipped in Atlanta. You you can't have a team falling apart just because one player goes down injured. Um, Yabor's style, I think, was at odds with what the club had been used to and the culture that they'd built before that. Um, none of that sort of fast attacking transition was there anymore. It was very much slow. To, I would 
describe a turgid build-up play where it's it's predictable. There's no real want or ambition to get the ball forward and get like start getting through the lines and getting into attacking positions. So as much as what happened afterwards was tough to watch in that Stephen Glasser is just sitting there basically trying to just just limp over the line to the end of the season. And um, now that Gabriel Ince is in, I think getting rid of DeBoer was the right choice. And I, in fairness to DeBoer, because I don't want to pile in on him, on him as well, you know, Felipe Cardenas at The Athletic did a great interview with him not long after he, he lost his job and he, he seemed like he took it with a lot of dignity and he seemed like he just did what, he, he did want what was best for Atlanta. At the end, it was just a clash of styles and a clash of cultures. Yeah, I don't really blame Frank DeBoer that much. You know, like, uh, I just remember, you know, Look, I'm a Philadelphia Union fan, but the, you know, the play style of Atlanta was just something I always wanted to watch when, you know, if they were on national TV or whatever, I'd turn on the Atlanta game. Um, and uh, it just seemed weird to me. I remember I was like taking a walk one day and, uh, you know, after Tata left and uh, I get like a notification saying that they're looking at Frank DeBoer and I was immediately like, this doesn't even fit. Mm-hmm you know, like the style of the team. So I found that just very strange that they even went that direction to begin with. But, you know, I don't blame him for, you know, taking the job because that's probably, you know, somewhere where he thought he would be able to, you know, come in and make a mark. Yeah, I think um, he needed it himself at the time, to be honest, because uh, obviously he had a, a couple of bad runs with, he'd done well at Ajax and then had a couple of bad runs with, with Inter Milan and Crystal Palace. So I think, he needed somewhere where he could go and sort of rebuild his reputation and come back stronger for it. Um, I mean, n- not an MLS example, but a, a good example of a manager taking a step back and then running forward again. I'd say it's Brendan Rodgers, obviously, yeah. struggled at Liverpool, went to Celtic, won a few titles, come back, is now doing great things at Leicester. Has uh, totally rebuilt, if not enhanced, his reputation. Uh, and I think that's what DeBoer wanted. And um, it worked, I guess. He got the Netherlands job. <laughs> well, yeah, but then again, Ronald Koeman got the uh, Netherlands job after Everton yeah, and yeah. got the Barcelona job, so who knows what's going on there. But <laughs> I think, I think in fair, to be fair to De Boer a little bit, um, yeah, I wouldn't like to say how much this is down to him and how much is down to the club. It seems like a very much a, a top-to-bottom sort of thing where he just made a lot of mistakes with the recruitment last year as well, you know. I'm not going to say they let down to Naby go because he wanted to leave. So that's inevitable, but they never replaced him. Um, and he was so important to, to how Atlanta played. Even more so, I'd say, under DeBoer, where if you want to keep the ball and, and be a possession team, that number six position is even more important than if you're a transition team. Um, when he went, there was just a big gap in midfield and no one to take the ball. So it was just a case of knocking it around the centre-backs, get pressed, make a mistake or hoof it long and lose it. So... You can't lay it all on DeBoer, but I think getting rid of him at the right time and restarting was the right choice. Yeah, so moving on to uh, Gabriel uh, Heinze, he was appointed a manager back in December. Can you tell us a little bit about his coaching resume and what you expect him to bring into Atlanta United? Yeah, so obviously the, the most attractive thing about Ainsley is he's took a team quite a big team in Argentina and Vélez when they were at a low point in the second division, turned around, got them up, and then got them competing right at the top of the, of the Argentine Primera Division. So he's got a proven track record of, of taking a team with a big reputation and picking them up off the ground and, and getting them back to, to where they should be and, and getting them back to playing the sort of football that they should be. So I think 
without the relegation that to be in the in MLS, I think Atlanta are as close to being a relegated team as you can be in MLS because they were they were a complete disaster last season. Um, there's a clear culture there that's that's not just wanted by the fans; it's a demand from the fans to play a certain way, and and Ainsa fits per- perfectly into that. You know, it's I know we get probably get sick of the Bielsa comparisons, but it's that high press, it's that get it forward quickly, it's dominate possession but with purpose. Uh, press and possess, I think you can you can really categorise it as. And I think that, again, like I say, coupled with the fact that he's he's proven to to pick teams up off the floor, I think that's got fans really excited among them. That's the thing I'm most looking forward to seeing is, is can he translate that to MLS and have a similar effect to Atlanta and, and put them back where they should be. I was listening to one of his introduction uh, to the press and stuff, and I think he even said where they asked him about Bielsa and Tata, and they were like, he goes, I don't know. I don't know them. Like, I don't personally <laughs> never talked to him. I have not really cared to talk yeah. to him. <laughs> it was yeah, like, I, oh, yeah. Without him, without him sort of being mentored by them, I think it's just an influence of that region of, yeah. of the game. Um, very much if you go to Germany, and you know, you've got Ralph Ranić there. Right. It's, a, it's a similar thing. It's a, a very similar school of thought. So, I think it fits well with the culture at Atlanta, and I, I think the the pieces that are being brought in now, I think I think it's it feels like a perfect storm. Not to speak too soon, but so with changing of the guard, obviously there's departures, and and you've got a manager coming in to want to play his own style, so he's going to bring in his own players. Um, there was a joke on Twitter that you saw, I'm assuming, um, that was uh, directed towards us and you uh, and Bart or Bartimus Prime 19 on Twitter uh, wanted to ask about the departure of uh franco escobar and his <laughs> who's going to take that you know who's going to be the reigning champ of that superlative who's going to take on the most likely to get a yellow card superlative uh with his departure yeah well you know keeping it in the in the family so to speak <laughs> <laughs> uh the, the new guy alan franco coming in from from independiente i think from I've, I've sat and religiously watched a lot of a lot of footage of him over the past couple of weeks to to get my scout report right and and see what we're getting and He's an, a very aggressive, proactive defender. And, you know, sometimes you're going to run into the back of a forward and bring him down or you're going to clatter straight through him and the referee's not going to like that. So while he's not a complete basket case of a defender that Franco Escobar is, <laughs> I, think, um, I think you can you can definitely put him up there for a lot of yellow cards this season. <laughs> I was going to say, if you go and Google Franco Escobar, it's Getty images all over the place, but it's him facing a ref and the ref holding up a yellow, and he's going, I don't get <laughs> yeah. it. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah um, he, was a, he had a unique style. <laughs> uh, third in the league in yellow cards, he was tied uh, with, I think, Bedoya from Philly. Um, and just uh, when you look at it, it's, it's pretty funny. But uh, I'm joking aside, are there other departures from the Atlanta United side that that kind of are worrisome, or was it time to kind of cut those guys too? No, I mean, the other high-profile one, I'd say, was Eric Remedi. Um, obviously played a big part in the in the 2018 MLS Cup winning, very highly regarded in, in Atlanta, but he hadn't been the same for, for two years since. Um, but very nervous in possession, slow across the ground. Didn't I don't think he was ever going to fit into what Gabriel Ainsa wanted, and I think, you know, San Jose Earthquakes have got a good player there now, um, coming in who's got proven winning experience in MLS and in the right team, I think can, can do a job. But I don't, I don't think he was meant for Atlanta anymore. The one that worries me is Franco Escobar, just because they're so thin at the back at the moment. Um, with his versatility, you know, he can play as a as a right back, as a wing back, and as a centre back, and, and that's valuable. Um, 
lo losing that, you're effectively you're kind of losing two or three positions at once. Um, and for all the jokes about his yellow cards, he, he does offer a, a unique style to, to Atlanta, where you know he, he is an aggressive defender and he and he will get right up on a on a phone and stop him from turning and, and bring him down and stop counter attacks. So it'd be interesting to see how Alan Franco can fit in there, Ronald Fernandez, and and see if they can plug the gap. Uh, so I remember when they announced Atlanta was getting an MLS team, uh, most of consensus on Twitter and myself were thinking, uh, we don't think like one, we were kind of not too keen on the name, <laughs> but then two, we also had, you know, a lot of people thinking Atlanta, like why not a team like Sacramento or, you know, somewhere that has that established, you know, soccer presence, but uh, you know, they, they, Atlanta proved that they can hold a team and that uh, they're very passionate about it. But what has, you know, the ownership and Arthur Blank done to make this team so successful so quickly? You know, they've won uh, an Open Cup in 2019. They have the uh, the MLS Cup in 2018. They won the first uh, Campionas Cup against, mm -hmm. you know, the Liga MX team. So what is it that may, that is it ownership? Is it, uh, you know, Arthur Blank just putting the right people in charge. What is it that made them so successful so quickly? Yeah, I think you've you've hit it well there with with Arthur Blank putting the right people in charge. And um, you know, Carlos Bocanegra to me does a great job. He brought back Paul McDonough from from into Miami. Um, he's probably glad just to escape the Blaze Matuidi incident. To be quite honest, but uh... <laughs> yeah, not sure how he did, but he did. <laughs> yeah, he seems to have uh, got out of there scot free. So you know, all Atlanta fans are just going to shut up and take it. So, <laughs> but um, no, I think it's it's getting the right people in charge and then quickly forming a culture. I say I keep using that word culture, but it, you know, it, Atlanta more than anyone has bought into that sort of South American pathway. You know, bringing players through through there, possibly moving on to Europe. And if they don't move on to Europe, then they have a lot of, a lot of success in MLS. And I think that's resonated with the fans. It, it makes them feel like a much more ambitious club than, say, an LA Galaxy bringing, bringing old hats back over for, for a, a payday, so to speak. And they're very much the sort of the MLS 3.0 rather than the MLS stereotype that, that a European fan would throw at them. Um, obviously, winning early helps. Um, you know, getting Tata Martino in and playing a great style of football that's attractive to watch is going to attract fans really quickly. And then backing that up with a with a trophy in the second season, it's just going to cement that, you know, people want to be a part of that. And from the outside looking in, obviously there was the old Atlanta curse where they just, regardless of the sport, they, could, they couldn't win a trophy. They'd gone years without a trophy until Atlanta United won. And I think as much as obviously MLS and soccer over there isn't, isn't the be all and end all. It's not. It's not the biggest sport. We all know that. But I think Atlanta is just crying out for for a team just to be successful. And and obviously Atlanta and Atlanta United have done that. And and the city's really taken to it. You only have to look at the attendances. Like they're getting seventy plus thousand. A lot of the time they're getting more more than the NFL team and and so on. So yeah, it's getting the right people in charge to to build a good squad and then putting a good product out on the pitch, which I think Tata Martino, again, you've got to come back and give him great credit for that. He's, he's got that club off to a great start. I was say over the last decade, Atlanta's probably like, that's our team. <laughs> I mean, yeah. their football team's been bad. Their baseball team's been bad. Yeah. Their basketball team's been awful. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that they are welcoming well, you, them in. 
you only have to see with the size of the social media following. I know that can be a, a bit of a, yeah. a, a false indicator, but the, the only MLS team to have hit a million right. followers on Twitter and, you know, you, you see the amount of interaction they get. And they've got a lot of different sort of accounts live on social media. You know, obviously you've got the Darren Eels transfer reveals, which are uh, the, which are, are always fun with the little teasers that he does there. And obviously Arthur Blank's quite active there. You've got the Atlanta United puppy that's there for a bit more of a, like a <laughs> yes, they've got so many different presences on, on there that appeal to so many different people. We got the rappers, you know, that are yeah. showing up to, you know, mm-hmm. nail in the spike at the yeah. games and stuff. Yeah, yeah that's it. The, the, for a club that's been around for four or five years, they've all, they've, they've got a lot of traditions. Um, and, I, and I feel like, we're going to get a decade or two in and, and we're going to look back at them as, a, as historic things. Um, the same as you'd look at a European team and for, to get a fan base to latch onto that within a couple of years, I think you've just got to give so much credit to the front office for that. Yeah, so a big part of those teams, um, Joseph Martinez, uh, back for 2021, uh, team clearly misses him and aren't the same without him. Can you kind of just tell us what makes him a prolific attacker? Um, the the most prolific attacker in MLS and how critical he is to this team. Yeah, I mean, in terms of Joseph, the player, um, he's just got this immense will to win for a start off. Um, I mean, for such a small guy, he's so strong. Um, he, he's great at sort of backing into the defender and then using his weight to spin off him and getting on goal. He's intelligent with his runs. We all know he can finish. Um the, the, the thing that impresses me most about some of the goals he's scored is, is, is his headers. The way he can leap in at the back post, is, it's like he's got springs on his boots on it. Like, he should be playing basketball with that right. kind of jump. It's it's incredible. Like, there was there was one against the, the Red Bulls in 2019, I remember. I mean, I think it finished 3 all in the end, and it, it, it didn't really mean much. But a ball goes into the back post, and he just comes crashing in. And he's, he's so high up in the air for such a small guy. It, it, it didn't seem possible. So... Yeah, you know, in, intelligence, strength, a, a really strong will to win, and, and he can finish. I think why he's so important to Atlanta is, is twofold. He is a leader, and he demands so much from, from the players around him. You only have to see when someone gives him a bad pass and the look that the player will get. And it's not just a look, you know, that he'll be throwing the arms in the air. He'll, he'll really make it known that he's, he's really not happy. And, you know, I, I want to swear, but I'm, I'm not going to make you have to bleep me out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he demands a lot of the players around him and really raises the standards. He's very much a captain without the armband. And I think as well, he's, he's more than anyone. He's a player who's taken the city to his heart. You know, there's, there's murals of him across the city. He loves the fans as much as he doesn't do too many media appearances. He's always happy to, to give the fans a moment. And he seems really happy in Atlanta. Obviously, you see a lot of a lot of these players come in, do, do two years in MLS and then leave. Uh, Ala Miguel Amaron, but Joseph Martinez seems really happy in Atlanta and he seems to love the place and, and love the club, which I'm sure will have an effect of, of, on his performances on the pitch where he only wants the best of the club as well. And, you know, he'll, he'll put that extra 10% in that can sometimes be the difference. So, uh, you know, without Joseph last year, they were near the bottom of the league in scoring. Um, with him back, is there any reason to still worry that, you know, maybe he doesn't start out at a hundred percent and they struggle. Like uh, we had a question on Twitter from at unite chop rise who asked what would be uh, you know, if Joseph's number one on the goal scoring 
list for Atlanta, who would be number two and three? Um, I think for number two, I know I spoke to you guys before the show and I picked a different play, but I'd go with number two, with Marcelino Moreno. Um, for a start, he's not got a record of scoring goals, but he proved he can take penalties last season. Um, and I feel like he's a player who's intelligent enough to get into the right spots to get plenty of chances to score as well. Uh, if I was going to go for number three, I'd, I'd go with a bit, bit more of a wild card with Eric Lopez. Um, still early days and he's a, he's a young player, but he, he did really well in the in the friendly against Charleston Battery the other day and, and got in at the back post to score a good goal. And he impressed in the CCL game he played in at, technically at the end of last season, um, the rearranged CCL game. So he's a, he's a player who looks like he's got all the right instincts to be a goal scorer and, and seems really skillful. So I'd put those as me two and three. Um, I'd also be tempted to give a mention to Lissandro Lopez as well, as much as, you know, he's, he's 37 years old. Uh, he can still run. Everyone thought we were signing a, a forward there whose legs have gone, but he's, he's still got a bit of a burst in him. I think you can still get a good 30, 35 minutes in or an hour when you need to rotate Joseph to the bench. So, you know, he's done it in Europe with, with Porto, with Leon. He's done it down in Argentina. So there's no reason why he can't do it in MLS. Um, had Atlanta not signed Marcelino Moreno last season and we're still looking for another creative player there, even with Joseph back, I'd have, I'd have been quite worried because Ezekiel Barco, for example, has not really put up the sort of numbers that, that you'd expect for a player who had such an investment and there's so much hype around his talent. But Moreno looks like a, a similar mould to Almiron where he'll get Atlanta going quickly and on the counter-attack. He's a good ball carrier, great passer, and, and he seems quite clinical with his finishing. So with the addition of him and then Joseph coming back, I think that combines to, to, to wash away all the worries, so to speak. So uh, Unite Chop and Rise actually ask another question too, because you just mentioned him, Ezekiel Barco. Uh, no matter what, is he gone at the end of the season or do you feel like he needs to produce some, like you said, to kind of meet up with that talent that many say he has to be sold elsewhere? I think either way, I think he's gone. Um, I think if he has a, a say a 12 goals 10 assists sort of season I think yeah you, you could still get into Europe um, I don't think you're going to make much, much of a profit on him now I think it's been a bit too long and there's, there's too many unknowns there with, with him having more bad seasons than good seasons uh, but I still think you could get into Europe if he doesn't quite produce and let's say we get four goals five assists or something like that I could very much see him going back to Argentina maybe back to Independiente again or, or somewhere like that just to to re hit the reset button, go back to the familiar surroundings and, and go back to somewhere where you know you can produce. Uh, but yeah, either way, I think I think this could be his last year. I was going to say, I was reading an article before we jumped on here that said that he had the praise of Sergio Aguero to, to go to Europe or people were pushing him. Some of his mentors in Argentina were saying, make the move to Europe. And I, I you know, I didn't know if that was something that, that I mean, as Atlanta fans, I mean, is that something that they're, um, I guess, worried about him or you know is it more of just like we're good we can sell you kind of like we've done with these other younger players and uh, we can kind of move on no I don't think I don't think there's much of a worry of losing him um, I think out of all the, the DPs that Atlanta have had I'd say he's one of the most sort of not not expendable I think that's a bit unfair but the one that they'd be happiest to sell because if you're selling him to Europe you know that you've got a good player out in a couple of years and that's just part of the process of being an MLS at the moment um, is bringing that player in, getting a good two years out of him and then moving him on. 
So I, I don't think there's a worry um, in that sense that, you know, you've got production out of him. And on the other side, if you're sending him back to Argentina, then you're going to get something back for him and you're going to open up that DP, DP spot again and, and hopefully bring in a player with a bit more production. So either way, I think after this season, I think most fans would be not happy to see him go, but comfortable. Um, so there were some reports out there of Darwin Mateus, or Matthias, if I say that right, is set to join the club. Uh, if so, does he slot right into one of the starting spots on the, uh, you know, on the wings or, uh, you know, what's the competition like for the left and right side? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a deal obviously that I've been in close contact with myself and, and trying to keep up with. And from what I've been told, um, Gabriel Inter really likes him. Um, there, there were some complications with his transfer, but you know Inter was very adamant that he wanted to come in and join join up. Um, he'd impressed him in training, but as I understand it, he is still going to be with with Atlanta United too for the first year or at least the first few months, where he can sort of get used to his new because he is only nineteen. He can get used to his new surroundings and and bed into being being around the club that way. And hopefully, you know if get a few good performances under his belt, he can make the step up to the first team. So he's not he's not for right now, but he's got quite a lot of experience in South America, in Copa Sudamericana and, and in Venezuelan football already for such a young player where I think if he was asked to make the step up, I think he'd be able to. So I would I would project about six six to eight months, I think you'll start seeing him getting in and around the, the fringes of the first team. Yeah, so kind of shuffling back, um, getting back towards more towards the defense and in that midfield. Um, Santiago Sosa signed with the club back in February. Um, from what you know of him, uh, how does he help Atlanta United and what kind of role does he see in the midfield? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned before about obviously the, the big hole that was left when Darlington Nagby left. And, right. um, and I think Sosa is going to come in and be that guy to, to fill that gap. Um, Obviously, he was linked with Everton not too long ago, so there, you know there's a bit of pedigree there and there's a bit of talent there. Uh, from, the, from the clips I've seen of him, I've, I've spoken to journalists down there on the ground who, who've seen quite a lot of him as well and looked looked quite hard into a lot of his metrics. Um, he seems like a good ball player. Seems like he could sort of drop in between the centre backs, get hold of it, and then distribute forward, which I think is going to be important to how Ainsley wants to play, and it's it's something that was sorely lacking for Atlanta last year. He's also versatile in that. He can play as a number eight, box to box. He's quite, he's quite mobile, and he's he's played a bit of time as a centre back as well. Um, which obviously, if he's slotting in as a centre back in possession, then he, he can also sit there and, and help protect against counter attacks. For example, if he, if he's sitting in that spot, and if there's a an injury crisis there, I know Alan Franco's coming in, but they're still short in that position. Then they've got a guy you know they can slot in there who's got experience. So, you know, versatility, good ball player, quite strong in the air. Quite, quite a decent tackle. I do think he needs to improve on his on his defensive game. Um, I think his, his positioning can sometimes be a little bit awry. And, you know, he, he can be found in the wrong spots sometimes. But overall, for a player who's so young with so little experience, it's a lot to like. And it's uh, it's just nice to see someone with a bit of pedigree coming into that number six role because last season it was just terrible watching Atlanta try and play through the middle. Uh, moving into the defence, uh... You know, they had uh, Michael Parkhurst retiring going into 2020. Uh, Leandro Gonzalez Perez, uh, you know, moving on. Uh, can you just talk a bit about the defense uh, for 2020? From, from last season. Um, was that, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Last yeah, season. Last season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, well, I mean, it was it was tough because because I think last season a lot of hope was pinned on Miles Robinson having another year like he did in in 2019, where you know he's he's kind of that one-on-one failsafe and you're not going to get past him and he's going to shut down all the counterattacks and. I think he got quite a lot of unfair criticism last season. Um, he wasn't at his 2019 standard, but how was he meant to be in, in that team uh, with with the so much dysfunction around the club in general? I actually think he had a decent season, really, compared to the, to a lot of his teammates. So, but then obviously, you know, Fernando Meza came in, who was supposed to be the the LGP replacement, never really got fit enough. I know there's a lot of personal problems with his. With his adjustment to life in Atlanta, uh, which is why he's gone back to, to Argentina. Anton Walks was coming in, you know, various players trying to slot into these roles that more than anything, it just stopped any kind of stability. You know, you, you're pinning your hopes on, on Miles Robinson. And obviously, he, he suffered his own fitness problems as well. So it was just constant chop and change. And without that leadership there of, of a Leandro Gonzalez Perez or a Michael Parkhurst, when you're constantly changing, your back line and, and there's no stability there and there's no leader to, to galvanise that unit together. Mistakes are going to happen. People are going to be out of position. People's heads are going to go down if there's a mistake. If you're coming in off a three-game break and then you make a mistake, you need you need a strong a strong leader next to you to pick you up and get you back on task. And that just never happened. And I think all of it was just, it started to compile onto each other where one player would make a mistake, his head would go, the guy next to him would see that and it'd affect him too. And, by the time you get Miles Robinson back in there, he's he's trying to fix a broken defence and and a guy so young, he, he can't do it on his own. So, again, that's where I think getting Alan Franco in, with, who's 24, we've still got so much experience. I think it's going to be critical this season. I was going to say, is that is that a pairing between Robinson and Franco that can be, you know, one of the top ones in the, the East and even the league? I would say so. Um, they're, both, they're both really good at one-on-ones. Uh, so you know, if if one pushes forward and goes hunting for the ball, the other one can sit behind, and and if if the opposition break, then he's there to shut that down. But you know, Miles Robinson's great in the air. Franco's great at dropping in behind. He's also great at going hunting in front and going pressing for the ball. So yeah, I think with the with the pedigree those two have got, I, I can't think of many centre back pairings in MLS. Correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I can't think of many MLS that are going to be better than him. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, going through the list, it's it's not a long mm-hmm. list if there are. Um, so, I mean, kind of speaking to that, um, can you kind of shed a little bit of light? I, it was really confusing to follow that whole center back saga. I mean, I was like, you had a player, then you didn't have a player, then you had a new player, but he, you didn't want to come here. So can you kind of just shed some light on that? And, and why was it so difficult to get that across the line? Yeah, so obviously there was the, and I'm going to get the name wrong because there's so many centre-backs that I'm trying to get <laughs> <laughs> David Martinez ended up going to River Plate when when Atlanta United seemed to have that one done. And the, the big one I think everyone was hoping for after that was uh, Lataro Gianetti. Um, he looked like, a, obviously he's played for Ains, so he's Ains' captain, seemed like a perfect fit. Right. Got the deal agreed, and then he came over and failed his medical. There was, there was a problem with, with one of his knees and there we go. That's that, that hadn't been been seen before. Hadn't been picked up. He goes home, and that's that. Uh, so we go on to the third option with Alan Franco. Um, seems like the the deal's getting agreed, and then all of a sudden we find out that Sal Paulo have come in and made an improved offer. Things go quiet. Looks like it's all done again, and, and back to the drawing board. Turns out that Independiente, who are notoriously tough to de- uh, to deal with, were just trying to call Atlanta's bluff. 
and in the end, Atlanta got the got the fee agreed. I believe it's two point eight million dollars, with with a couple of hundred thousand in add-ons. And just to to put the cherry on top, after finally getting the deal agreed and sort of staring down Independiente and winning the game of chicken, he's he's arrived in the states and he's now tested positive for COVID nineteen. So that's yeah, going to hold that. him up that <laughs> little bit longer. So yeah, it seems like that hunt's cursed at the moment. It's it's been. I'm not going to say it's been fascinating to watch. It's been really frustrating to watch as a fan, <laughs> but uh, it looks like we're getting solved in the end, even if I think they do need another player there myself. I was going to say, just following that and the the trail of tweets, and I mean, I was like, no wonder he got COVID. He was in about 30 airports if all the, if he's following all that. Rob, Rob Osri at, at Dirty South put a great tweet up before I'll, I'll when you get a moment, pull it up, and he just bullet pointed every single thing that went on and, and fills a page on Twitter um, <laughs> of like this happened and then this went wrong and this happened and this failed. So, yeah, it's been frustrating. Let, let's hope that's the end of, of all the hiccups and, and we get him signed and announced and right. maybe, maybe bring him one more. So, I want to ask you a little bit about um, George Bellow and then um, Lennon as well, as far as your left, right, or left back, right back. Um, Lennon was effective going forward, probably one of the more effective coming back from that back side of the, you know, the attack or the defense and kind of moving up into the attack. Um, can you kind of speak to his importance? And then also is, you know, Brooks Lennon, somebody that is going to fill in that ad spot as well. I mean, I'll start with, with Lennon, because I think that's the, the one that's sort of not quite as clear. Uh, obviously, Ronald Hernandez has been brought in. And I think it entirely depends on what system Ains is going to play over, which one actually gets the starting role. Um, I see Brooks Lennon as quite, I don't think he's the same lead just yet, but quite a similar style to Julian Gressel, where you know he's got a great delivery. He's a, he's a brilliant crosser of the ball and, and a really good offensive left back. But he is more of a natural winger um, than he was when he was younger. So those defensive traits aren't quite there in, in the same way that you want for from a, a two-way fullback. Um, I think if Atlanta playing a, a back five with, with wingbacks, I think he's got to get the start because you know, he can push forward. He's got his centre-back behind him to cover him and he can just focus on getting balls into the box and delivering for Martinez, hopefully in the same way that Julian Gressel used to do. I think, I think it was 2019 where Gressel set up Martinez something like nine goals, give or take. So... And it was the league's most productive partnership. And if we can get something like that going, that, that'd be great. But I think if it's a back four, I'd personally say that Ronald Hernandez is probably going to be the starter. He's he's a really strong two-way fullback where I'd say he's about 75% the the attacker that Brooks Lennon is. Uh, his, his final ball isn't quite there, but he, he's a lot more dynamic and, and it'll bomb forward and he, he's quite energetic. He'll, he'll burst into the box and get into those dangerous areas. But he's also strong defensively. You know, he's got one-on-one tough to beat. His his positioning seems to be quite good from what I've seen and, and from reports I've read and you know the metrics and, and I've spoken again to some journalists on the ground who've seen him. He seems seems like an intelligent defender for for a young player with a point to prove after his failed move with Aberdeen as well. So, so that on the right, it, it entirely depends on the system. On the left, uh, obviously George Bellow is a star, um, one of the few bright lights of of 2020 after having injury ruining his 2019 when that really should have been his breakout year he's come in and been one of the only players to step up you know he's he's a powerful fast runner we know that he likes to get forward his final ball is lacking uh, I think he only got one assist last season when really a player getting into those positions you'd, you'd expect him to start getting six or seven assists so 
there's some some decision making to to work on there, which will come come with experiences. You've got to remember he's still a teenager as well. Um, his defensive positioning, again, unlike, unlike Hernandez, for for a young player, understandable, but it leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, I remember MLS is back when they played New York Red Bulls and Red Bulls sliced Atlanta open down that side where Bella was way too high up. Fernando Meza went over to, to cover and Florian Velo just sort of had the freedom of the pitch to go through and score. And that was something that happened a few times with Bello being caught out of position. But again, he's 19, he'll work on it. He seems strong one-on-one and, and tough to beat. You know, he, he's quick. He can keep up with, with the, the quickest wingers in MLS. So looking forward to seeing if he can iron out those little kings in his game this season. So kind of wrapping up with um, the, the goalkeeping, uh, Brad Guzan, uh, I think he's going on 37 now. He's really approaching uh, a time where he's probably going to hang up the boots soon. Do they really have an option uh, as far as youth? I know um, that they've got Alec Khan, who's uh, the, at, probably in that second spot, I, I'm assuming. Uh, and then Ben Lungard, is, are, are either of them going to replace him? Or, or do you think that when Brad does call it quits, it's, it's time to look for a new keeper? Yeah, well, I mean, they have just announced Ben Lungard into the first team. So they're obviously, you know, they're, they're making moves there where sort of the, the planning for the future. Um, I know they have just brought, uh, his name escapes me, I'm just quickly trying to check, but they have just brought a guy in from uh, from River Plate as well on loan. So, you know, they are they are making making moves to sort of start building for the future there. But as of yet, Guzan's still the number one. Um, he was poor last season. I think anyone who watched Atlanta could see that. Right. Sure, you know, he, he made some great saves and he, he pulled Atlanta out of a few a few spots, but as well, there were, there were a few times where he was erratic off his line and coming out for, for catches. He just, he should never be coming out for. And, and a few shots right. that were practically straight at him where he let, he let him slide underneath him. And I remember one goal, it was um, Orlando. I think it was a Chris Mueller free kick and he, he goes and set his wall up and then he's, He's arching all the way around to try and see around the wall that mm-hmm. he's set up, gets completely blindsided by it, and, and Mueller scores. Right. And a lot of little mistakes like that that have been creeping into his game. So still a solid goalkeeper, still still good for a, for a year or two, I think. And you know he offers a lot of experience to the team, into a team that's that's lacking in experience. But it, it definitely feels like behind the scenes, Atlanta are planning for for the next eighteen months to sort of ease him out and, and bring somebody else in. Okay, uh, so the uh, Atlanta qualified for the Champions League. Uh, yeah, qualified. <laughs> qualified by very... Uh, two years ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, very... Yeah. Uh, not, not Didn't make a lot of people happy, uh, per no. se, but... Flex the way into it. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're in. Uh, but um, what did you know they're in the round of 16 uh they were just drawn against uh Aloanze. um mm-hmm. what should be the expectations for the CONCACAF Champions League here because I do think they probably have out of the teams that have qualified probably Columbus and Atlanta are the best mm-hmm. chances of of maybe winning something yeah I mean I'd, I'd love to sit here and say you know the aim should be to win um, that's what Atlanta United like to do, like to win trophies. Um, but they're coming off a really bad year, and obviously MLS teams don't have a great record in in the competition. Um, 
I mean, looking first and foremost at the Alavance again, they're, they're one of the biggest teams in Costa Rica. Um, a lot of their players are in that U23 Olympic qualifying team as well. So they've got some some high hopes there for some of the players. So they're, they're clearly a talented unit. Um, it'll be interesting for me to see how much those exertions playing in those qualifiers will have an effect on them compared to Atlanta who pulled George Bellow, Miles Robinson and Brooks Lennon out of that, for example. But I think you've got to take Atlanta's favourites there. Even if Joseph Martinez isn't fully back, you've got Eric Lopez and Lissandro Lopez to come in there. Um, one young and exciting player, one incredibly experienced and, and effective player. If I was to make a, what I would say would be a successful CCL campaign for Atlanta, I'd say semi-finals. Uh, I, think to, I think to ask for anything more than that, especially when you start coming up against the Mexican teams and, and even your, some of your fellow MLS teams, right at the start of your season, you know, it's effectively a pre-season game. Uh, I think you're asking a lot for a team that's still being put together. We still don't know how it's going to look under Gabriel Enza, but purely talking on paper and, and with the players they brought in and hopefully with the manager they brought in, you know, seems like a great appointment. Um, for me, I'd, I'd personally be with, happy with the semi-final. So a final question for Atlanta, then Logan actually went to ask you about uh, one of your articles. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, our usual last question is, what would be a successful season for Atlanta United in 2021? For me, I think hosting hosting in the playoffs. Um, obviously, playoffs is, is I think, it's got to be a prerequisite now. You know, you've You've cleared out some of the old, the, the dead wood, as they, as they say, and brought in some exciting new players. You're getting Joseph back. You've got your new coach. Everything seems really exciting. I think if you miss out the playoffs, that's a disaster. Um, but I think hosting in the playoffs, obviously, let's see how the, the playoff picture looks first when, when we get going and, and when the season is fully underway and the schedule's there. But I think to, to get high enough in the top four or five, I think to, to get that hosting game, I, I think that's got to be a successful season, you know, Obviously, coupled with, with playing attractive attractive football on the pitch as well, you know, getting that sort of attacking style back, which which took the fans by storm so early on, getting that back on the pitch and then coupling it with with a top four or five in the East. So I did want to ask you um, before we let you plug your stuff one last time. I mm -hmm. um, I saw you tweeted last night uh, about the uh, U.S. Men's National Team prospect. Um, mm -hmm from the MLS club in 2021. So you just dropped the Eastern conference and you're dropping the Western conference. Can you just mm -hmm. kind of tell us some about that and what you think of the pool going forward for some of these prospects? Yeah. I mean, obviously I've only, I've only written out the, the Eastern conference so far and I'm still yep. sort of getting all my research together for the Western conference. But I mean, I mean, you just scroll through the, the list of list of Eastern conference prospects. And, and the thing that strikes me the most is, Nearly all of them are already household names. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you got James Sands, you got George Bello, you know, you got Mauricio Pineda, you got Georgi Mihailovic, Henry Kessler had a great year last year. Obviously, there's a few unknowns. You know, Robbie, I put Robbie Robinson there for Inter Miami because Phil Neville seems to be really excited about him from from what I've read. Uh, but you know, he struggled in a in a poor side last year. But overall, it's it's how many household names there are and how many are getting linked to Europe already, or you feel like another good year. They could be moving to Europe. I think it just shows that almost every single club, if not every single club, is starting to push towards that that dream of of the next step being a selling league and, and, and transition MLS into that. In terms of where does it leave the United States, 
Um, I've been asked that a couple of times on, on some, some recent podcasts. What, what do I forecast for him? I mean, first things first, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You've still got to qualify for, for the next World Cup. Still got to make sure that, you know, get, get to the Olympics safe and sound. But looking at, you know, looking ahead to 2026, by the time that comes around, you know, all the European guys are going to be in the prime by then. You know, your Weston McKennies, your Tyler Adams. Hopefully, you know, Christian Pulisic, hopefully these guys don't get too many injury problems and they're all hitting the prime. You've got all these coming over from, from MLS, you know, you've, you've got Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie, over there, uh, you know, Caden Clark's going over there and you're hoping these guys are going to have a lot more experience with more to follow them. I've projected a semi-final, which you, you, you guys make of that what you will, you know, you, you've been following the United States a lot longer than I have, so you tell me where you, where you fall on that. <laughs> I was going to say, we, it's funny, we just, we literally, I think it was the last podcast we did, we were talking about, um, and we're releasing the episode, it's called Outside the Box, where we talked mm. about what are the chances for the United States, and it was more of just pitching the question out there, because we wanted to see how Twitter reacted to it, because I know it's real mm. divisive, um, but we pitched, you know, what, you know, is it realistic for the United States to win the World Cup in the next 10 years, because you got three World mm. Cups coming, um, and again, Jordan and I are in the same boat. We we just write about uh, the, what you said. Semifinals would be what we'd be happy with. Like I think that mm. that's where realistically, like that's yeah. expectations that we would have if we can get these guys. Like we said, like you said, just firing mm -hmm. on all cylinders and healthy uh, is the biggest issue that that seems yeah. to be one that could haunt us. Um, yeah, that's the that's the only thing is I think in, in key positions most players have had injury problems already and. You know, from players who are so young, that, that is a bit of a worry. But I think, again, you've, you've got to take it as they're all fit for now because there's so many variables right. that happen. There might be players that are not even on the radar at the moment that just come in and take take Europe by storm and, and suddenly, you know, they're, they're the, the new star man in the team. So there's, there's a right. lot of variables to, to go in there. But I think projecting for a semi-final, I, I don't think it's unreasonable, especially on home soil as well. Um, and if you get to a semi-final, anything can happen then so that, right. that would be where I'd say it but I mean sort of leaning back into into the, the article put out for one goal it, it, I just I'm just so impressed that every single team at the moment seems to be investing more and more even even LA Galaxy have got a couple of players you know, Julian Araujo and Efren Alvarez are there and you know they're, they're the team that's most known for, for bringing in veterans and even they're buying into this this new approach so it's exciting to watch and I think I feel like I've got into covering MLS just at the perfect time. Yeah, so Chris, if you just want to uh, plug one more time and tell people where we can find your work and uh, just kind of wrap it up here. Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at CJSmith91. Um, I'm also trying to boost my Instagram following, um, Chris underscore Smith underscore MLS. Um, obviously, I've just put out the Eastern Conference USMNT prospects on one goal. Of, I'm going to have the Western Conference ones coming up soon. I've got an Alan Franco scout report coming up for, for Dirty South and basically knocking on everyone's doors, asking for jobs and who, who wants me to write for them. So just, just follow me on Twitter and, and keep an eye on where I'm writing from there. Well, Chris, it's been a blast talking to you and we've enjoyed having you on. Well, thank you for your time. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. My pleasure. That was Chris Smith of Squawka and uh, one goal and Dirty South Soccer. Um, what, what was your takeaway here for Atlanta United? You put a poll up the day we recorded this asking, you know, where people thought Atlanta would fall, uh, fall in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I 
think most of the answers were 67% at the time we last checked of being. Yes. So uh, yes, 64. Uh, one through four, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So 64%, one through four. Um, That's partly me. I put that in there. Yeah. Five through eight, 27%, nine through 11, 5%, and 12 through 14. And this is in the Eastern Conference, of course, um, 4%. Um, yeah. I, uh, I put this out there just because I was interested because I think, you know, and, and one of the takeaways that I got from it is that I still think this team, you know, from what I've read and, and what I've seen and what I've watched back um, and kind of looking forward into this year, I, you know, I think there's still a kind of a question mark there. I think it one all depends on Joseph. If, if he comes back and can play, you know, six matches and he's hurt again, you know, what, what, what happens then because this team can't survive I don't think without him uh, I just I, I'm I'm hesitant because their wingers aren't fantastic um, they, they don't create as much um, you know through the midfield they, they've got Moreno but at times he, he's looking more to create and when you don't have anybody on the end to create for that that's kind of an issue too uh, I do like what they've added in defense but again their defense was sneaky good uh, you know, I think they were top 10 and goals allowed with 30 goals. So it's not like they were leaking goals out the back. Like some of these teams are, um, they're actually pretty solid defensively. And then they just go and add Franco. And I think like he said, I think this is one of the best center back pairings in the East, if not the whole league. So I think it's, you know, with, with That's what I was going to ask about, even with Ryan yeah. Shawcross entering the league, right. You know, you know, Shawcross entering the league, it, you know, that, that, that could throw some hinge in there. Um, but I, I think it, you know, it's still, it's, it's a team that is a big question mark for me. You know, we've got a couple of these teams that I think are question marks to see what exactly happens. I think the union are the exact same way. I, I think it's a big question mark. And I, you know, I think they're becoming less of a question mark with all these injuries, but, you know, I think it's something when you go in, you're going into a season and, you know, you've got a feel for the year. And yes, I know Joseph is coming back prolific goal scorer. You know, he's going to net a lot of goals. Um, he's, the best striker in the league but again that was when he was healthy um and, and there's some concern i think obviously with him coming back and if he's not 100 percent joseph for the first year that i mean this could you know back this could be somewhat of a struggle um but yeah i think you know realistically i think you're looking at a team that's that's pushing up towards that four spot three spot maybe um you know, I, I put him in the five to eight just because of these question marks and, and what, you know, a Joseph Martinez looks like when he comes back from an injury um, and how much they can actually create up front. I think that's that's one of the big questions. What would you take away from it? Um, it's a good question. I don't know why I wasn't prepared for this when we do it every week. Uh, I still think they're one through four in the in the West. I, I mean, the East. Um I think, like I said, this is a constant theme we keep getting with each person, right? Is yeah, what's the goal? Uh, home playoff game. Right. <laughs> Somebody and say win the league. I we're, think we're it's coming on Monday. Too many of these uh, teams. There's not enough spots for them. So, uh, and you know, Evan, you know, one of the teams is going to fall out of there. Um, I think that. You know, I'm a little worried about Philly just because uh, the day we're recording this, there's so many injury issues right now with them that we might not even have a striker going. 
going in the CCL and the start of the season. Um, so, you know, with, with those type of issues, I, I'm worried about, you know, I'm, I'm just worried that we fall out of that top four. And if that's the case, Toronto then, joining you too. <laughs> and Toronto dropping out of the top four. I think Atlanta can slot in here. You would have like Atlanta, Columbus. Uh, you know, this Maybe is Orlando. not my full predictions yet. Yeah. Um, Orlando looking up, you know, yeah, on the outside. New England in. and Orlando. Right. I mean, those, I would have to really, I, I haven't drawn anything up yet, but I could, like, I could see something like that, you know, in those top, top four spots. Um, so, Look, I, I, I'm confident that the you know Atlanta's a question mark because of management changes, Joseph coming back from injury, you know, bringing in some new players, uh, the leftover players like Barco and such who might be moving on after at the end of this year. It's a lot of question marks, but I think that they're a team that, um, depending on how well the manager does, it's definitely an upgrade from Frank DeBoer, and he even won a U.S. Open Cup with them. So I do think that this team can be better, and I think that they have the talent, and I think that they'll have the style to probably finish in the top four if Joseph is healthy the whole season. That's really the crux of the issue. Is he, is he going to be rushed back too soon? Um could that aggravate something? Does he miss more time? All that stuff's up in the air for me, but uh, I think Atlanta fans should be excited going into the season because I think they got a lot to look forward to. Yeah, and a third kit too. <laughs> I don't <laughs> exactly, want to be yeah. so. But no, I, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I, you, the question marks is kind of my highlight of uh, this whole thing is, you know, I do think that, that they do have a short up defense. You think that their, you know, defensive mid got better um, with Sosa coming over, but again, they, they just, it, well, that wasn't really the issue last year. It was attack and nothing they've done except add Joseph back. It's really, it's really different. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I know he can be a huge difference maker, but again, if he has to miss time or he's not as good as he once was, you know that that's when you start to talk about this team not not necessarily being a top four team in the east you think he's toby keith or something yeah i think so well i mean how old is he like he's got to be what 30 let's see he is oh gosh he's my age he's 28 (laughs) i about said old um yeah he's 28 so 27 27 he'll be 28 yeah um so right in his prime uh you know, I think that that's now's the best chance. If he is going to come back and be himself, then uh, that, that's what's going to happen. And he's going to come in and hopefully score for them. Um, and if he does, then that changes the whole, whole uh, story for, for Atlanta United. That's going to change them into one of the best teams in the East. Um, and I know there was some concern with, well, Columbus and Orlando, you know, how are they going to fare and, and, you know, what they've added and what they haven't added and, so there's some argument there too. All right. Uh, so we'll wrap up this, this one here. Um, who, who do we have next? Yeah. So we actually are going to be doing the Columbus crew next. Uh, and we got Ori Benatar coming over uh, from massive report, which is the SB nation for the Columbus crew. And 
that is what I'm looking forward to because I think that everybody that I've seen, um, all these pundits have them as the clear favorites to win the East and probably MLS Cup and Supporter Shield. And God, they've, they've listed them for basically everything. Um, I think they forget that there's a couple teams out West that might have something to say about that. But here's the best thing about MLS. It rarely ever know. happens that <laughs> yeah, way. Uh, you never know. <laughs> uh, nobody predicted the union winning supporter no. shield. I'll tell you Cincinnati that on top of the league, they're going to win the supporter shield. That's yep, why. There you yeah. go with uh, Columbus getting the wooden spoon. So <laughs> yeah. uh, if you want to tweet at us at stateside show on Twitter, Instagram, facebook.com slash stateside show, email us stateside show at gmail.com. And we will catch you all next time. Tomorrow, throw his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on. Come on. Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. men's national team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.